joined us at Venue Church today. Um, hey, they're, they're letting us kind of meet, but the restrictions are so uh, severe that uh, we're just going to do this right now as it goes. We're also not allowed to sing. We haven't figured out how that causes COVID yet, or if door handles cause COVID, maybe we should just take all the door handles off of everything. All right. Um, hey, listen, but if you come today and you're watching and you're hurting, your business is suffering, your family is suffering, we are with you. The Holy Spirit is here. And I believe also that the Holy Spirit has given me a new sermon series about the parables of Christ called Fables. And uh, the, the, my sermon today is called In the Weeds. You might feel like your dreams are in the weeds right now, like your life is in the, the weeds, but by the Holy Spirit of the living God, this time can be a reset for your life. This can be a reset if you have a family. This can be a reset for your business or your company. And God is able to turn anything around just because he can and because he loves his kids. All right, um, fables. So the fables of Jesus are short stories or parables that convey a moral. The fables of humans, there's another word that fables means, there's another meaning of it. The fables of humans are often the stories we tell ourselves that are false and take us where we don't want to go. And so the fables of Jesus, when Jesus tells a story with a moral, what he's trying to do is convince you about something that he can't just come out and tell you. Do you ever soften your kids up with like, hey, let's go and eat ice cream, but I need to talk to you about your, the state of your room. Um, it's the way that Jesus had of, of being able to give a simple story to simple people. I know you think you're complicated, and I know you think you're very, very smart, but sometimes we're not receptive to the real truth. And what he has to do is he has to kind of soften us up a little bit and, and tell us a story about, like, he's like, hey, I'm going to tell you a story about there's going to be a rabbit. I'm just making this up. And a bear, and it's not going to be about you. And didn't the rabbit, wasn't the rabbit kind of selfish? And we're like, yeah. And he's like, and it was you, you know, and then he kind of sucker punches you. I just made the bears and rabbits thing up. But, okay, here's the issue that Jesus is going to tell you about today. I'm just going to give it to you kind of up front. We're going to talk about it, then we're going to get into the parable of the wise uh, maidens. Uh, this is what we tell ourselves. If you have something I don't have, this, this is how I think to myself. Thanks for being here, by the way, crowd. I love the feedback. I just love your belief. This is what you do when the person beside you in life has something that you don't have, we fall for the temptation of saying that you have that because you have some sort of hidden advantage that I don't have. Or this is what we say. You have that in your life, in your marriage. You have that ability to because you started with something I didn't start with. Just think about that. It's just the most human thing to do. I just, I'm, I'm jealous of what you have. And I, and I think to myself, but I couldn't have that because I didn't start with that. So that can just be even emotionally or psychologically. Like, I don't have the confidence that that my girlfriend has because, you know, because she had a better father than I have. And then you say, well, I'm, I, I just will never be able to have this thing because they have what I... Um, I'm not good with money because my, we were always broke. You know, my parents were always broke and they were good with money because they started with something I, I didn't start with. And, and we just constantly, I'd have more courage. I'd have more confidence. Um, it's easy for me to blame shift or tell a lie because, you know, my mom, that was just what she did. And, and you know, their mom, his mom didn't do that. And so it's just easier for them to get what what. God wanted them to have, but it's hard for me because they started with something. They have some hidden advantage that I, that I don't have. 
Now, I came up in, in industry, in the electrical industry, and, and I remember thinking something very similar to that because the learning curve is super high. If, if you've been in industry, there's, you know, everything comes back to money and how much money you could lose if you make a mistake. And uh, I was in a place in a grocery store changing a ballast out one time, and the ballast wiring diagram, um, okay, so let me back that up a little bit, because some of y'all don't, you just work at a desk or something. And so you're like a ballast. Okay, so the lights, a lot of lights, when they come on, there's a ballast that turns the light, the lamps on. And so you have to wire a ballast a certain way. So the ballast has a wiring diagram on it, and then it goes to the lamps, and they can, you can see the little diagram with the lamps and stuff, but... I was in a grocery store um, in, a new, in a company that I hadn't worked for before, so I was kind of new with the company. I was in a grocery store, but the, the wiring diagram didn't line up with the lights in the fixture, and I was afraid I was going to blow something up. Now, every electrician knows that you got to keep the smoke inside of things for them to work. As soon as you let the smoke out, nothing works anymore. you got to keep the smoke in. And so we'd always say that, um, not that we blew anything up. Yeah, we blew lots of stuff up. And I was afraid I was going to blow up this light fixture. And so I called back to the shop, and the foreman... You know, this is back in the day, so, so people are a little different now, and, and nobody back then was really overly concerned that you, you know, you were treated a certain way in the trades world. It was more like, hey, you, you know, it, it was, like nowadays it's like, hey, how are you feeling? You having a good day? You having a bad day? Back then it was like, you're having a good day, or we're just going to hire the next person. Um, nobody there cared if you found yourself at work, you know. My dad's generation, they didn't get that. They're just like... Find yourself, yeah, have I found myself? I don't know, like, you can do that later, but here we need to make money, you know? And so, um, so he, was a, he was a crusty old, old journeyman, this guy. And, um, and he said to me, I called him up on the phone, I'm like, how, how do I do this? And he said, figure it out, and hangs up the phone. And I remember that feeling of resentment, like, why don't you just tell me? Because he knows, why don't you just tell me? He sent me out with this material, he knows that it'll work, why don't you just tell me how to do it? Because there's not the same thing here as there is there. And I realized, uh, I didn't realize it at the time because I was just fighting through the sense of resentment. See, that sense of resentment that you have when you feel like somebody has something you don't have because they have an unfair advantage or they started with what you didn't start with, that sense, if the devil can take that sense and get you to stop, it's called the quit whisper. You know, like, oh, just quit. Just go work for somebody else who will just fix it for you. You know, and I realized, you know, uh, what he was doing was, see, he knew something that I didn't know at the time. He knew that if he had to tell me how to fix everything along the way, that then the company just needed more of him and not me. And I realized if I can't do this, I'm not going to have a job and they're just going to pay him more to work more hours so that he can come and fix it. But there was still this resentment inside of me. And, and I realized, okay, I'm going to have to try something. I'm going to have to take a risk and do something that I, I've never done before. And I tried it, and it actually worked out, and I'm glad that I did. And I realized what felt like, like resentment at the time was really him believing in me. You know, I, I have a new team lead at the church here, and, and he talked to me about a situation in his team he wanted to, to deal with. And I talked to him, like, for a half an hour about my philosophy of how I would go about that. But then I kind of, like left it, he's in the audience today, I kind of left it, I'm like, you'll notice that I didn't tell you what to do. I'm like, I think you can figure it out. Tyler, I think you can figure it out. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's like, and don't screw up, but here's how I would come at it. I'm sure you're just thinking, like, why don't you just tell me what to do? And I'm thinking, well, actually, I believe in him. I think that he could probably figure out what to do. And then I said this, the most important thing is just keep things moving forward, keep the team moving forward, you know. We have to be able to make mistakes and not get things right. You know, you got to let the smoke out of a ballast every now and again. Just, it's life. 
you know. But here's another thing that, that happened. I was uh, working in a big, um, it's called an MCC. I'm still not sure what that means. You know, it's funny. I worked my whole life in these things and some sort of control cabinet or something. Anyways, it was a big box like this full of relays and contactors and controls. And, and it was in a, a mill. It was the first time I'd gone into troubleshoot. You know, the motorway up there wasn't working. And, uh, and I go in there. I'd never been in a place like this before. And I, you know, this motor runs a conveyor belt 15 feet. And then that limit switch tells this other thing to come on. And then it dumps a certain amount of something in. And, and I'm just like, I don't know what to do. All these relays are clicking in and out. And there's so much going on. I'm like, I, I, don't, I don't even know where to start. And so I called the same guy. <laughs> You know what he says to me this time? You know, this time he just like, he just took me under his wing and he's like, Corey, I love you. You know, you're such an asset to this company. You just relax. I'll come and fix it for you. No, he's like, figure it out. And I'm like, I don't know how to figure this out. There's a lot, you know, like he says, it's just a bedroom lighting circuit. I'm like, because I, I come, came from housing. I'd done a lot of housing and I could do just about anything in a house that needed to be done. And he, he knew that. And he said, it's just a bedroom lighting circuit. It's not that complicated. And I'm like, it's not a bedroom lighting circuit. It does this thing. And I keep talking. He's like, it's just a bedroom lighting circuit. It's just a bedroom lighting. It's just a bedroom lighting circuit. You know, it's like mom on auto repeat. Just like clean your room. Just clean your room. Just clean your, but mom, you don't understand. But mom, just a bedroom lighting circuit. Finally, I'm like, no, it's like 40 bedroom lighting circuits and they're all interconnected. And he's like, it's still just a bedroom lighting circuit. And then I had a revelation that day that set me free in my career and actually made me so much more valuable moving forward. That day, I finally realized, um, now this is going to sound a little bit weird for coming from a pastor, but I come from industry. So this guy, he had this big handlebar mustache and he was like old country and his body, I don't even know how it worked because he'd broken so many things in his body. He was just a bit of a wreck. And I remember thinking to myself, I watched this guy eat like mayonnaise sandwiches at lunchtime. You ever had one of those? A mayonnaise sandwich. Okay, just imagine a sandwich that has a normal amount of mayonnaise, but you take all the other ingredients out and make all the other ingredients mayonnaise, too. And he had this big mustache, right? So he'd be eating this thing, and his mustache would be full of mayonnaise. And I remember thinking to myself that day, if mayonnaise mustache can figure this out, I can figure this out. If that man can figure this out, and then I got thinking, what is it about him that gave him the ability to do that? He didn't have an advantage in intellect. He had more experience, but he didn't gain the experience by having it handed it to him, success. And what you and I do is we, we try to, we try to look for the, the no-lose textbook to get everything right. That does not exist. I mean, the Bible is a textbook, but you'll notice like it's Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. But what about the middle part? <laughs> a lot of that is ad-libbed. Moms and dads. I had great parents and I'm like, oh, I started parenting and I'm like, oh, a lot of this is, I'm ad-libbing. I don't know what to do. I'm just making stuff up as I go and open it sticks, you know? You just realize, no, there's this whole gray area in the middle where the Bible is giving you guidelines, like we're going to see here in a minute. But you and I, we're looking for this thing so that we can't possibly fail at anything. But life is failure, and life is winning, and life is risk, and life is... And God is God in spite of your mistakes. I don't have what they have. I can't be successful because I don't have what they have. They have a marriage that works. See, my parents' marriage didn't work. So how would I have a marriage that works? This is all I know. You know, my dad treated us like this, and... 
And that's why I treat my kids like, and, and my neighbors, they have, uh, they're better parents than I am because they, ha- they started with what I didn't start with. I can't be successful because of, of what I don't have. But see, there's anomalies to this idea. When you think about it, think about the most successful people in the world right now. There are anomalies to this whole thing. In fact, what I would say is, what I would suggest to you is that the most successful people in the world, not only, not only, not only did they have childhoods that most of them were harder than yours were. Come on. It's not even an anomaly that the most successful people had the most struggle sometimes. You look at people that figure stuff out, they don't look at their childhood like a, like a crutch. They look at it like a gift. They don't look at the debt that they came out of like it's a crutch, like I can't do this thing, I can't, I can't. They look at it like, and they, then they say, no, it was a gift wrapped up in a crisis. Come on, COVID fans. It's a gift wrapped up in a crisis. Just don't listen to the let's quit whisper. How will some succeed in this time and some won't? How will some business people win and some business people will lose in this time? How will some families win moving forward and some lose? Do you honestly think that it has to do with what they started with coming into it? Absolutely not. That's where you and I have to just get that idea right out of our heads. That is not the problem. What you and I started with when we entered this crisis was not the problem. Is it not obvious to you yet that the playing field was leveled? This happened to everybody. To everybody. We are all on the same equal footing right now, and we are all having to figure out life. What will cause some to succeed out of this? What will cause some businesses to flourish and get the market after this? What will cause some marriages to get better? And what will cause some to fail? It's not what happened. It's not something outside of, it's not a circumstance. It's not the people who win. It's not because they had more when they went into this, because they just lost more. It has nothing to do with that. See, this is how you could look at your marriage issues that you're having right now because you're not used to spending that much time together. Or your kid issues. My kid issues, man. We're just on top of each other, it feels like. This idea that, that I think a person who wins starts understanding that pressure, it's a gift when pressure reveals problems that were there the whole time. It's, it's good that, that if you're having struggles in your marriage, you're like, oh, this was here the whole time. But when the sun is shining, you don't know until the crisis comes. This is a, a, a massive opportunity for all of us to hit a reset in our lives, in, in our finances. Here's the thing. When there's enough to go around, everybody's got some. But now you're going to find out who wins and who loses. It's based on our mentality. It's based on something that happens on the inside of you, not something that happens on the outside of you. Here's, here's something. Okay, you're going to like this here. The American dream. They pulled Americans. I love Americans. They pulled Americans in uh, the, the 90s, early 90s. They pulled them and said, okay, how much money would you have to make to live the American dream? So, so everybody who made under 25000 said, if I made double what I make now, I could live the American dream. And then everybody, this is the punchline, who made hundred grand said, if I made about double, I could live the American dream. <laughs> Dreams don't come true because of what you don't have. Dreams don't come true because you don't see what you do have. Dreams don't come true because of what you don't have. They come true because you don't see what you do have. This is an opportunity for you to finally see what you have right in front of you that you could work with. Yeah. 
But then we say this, yeah, pastor, you don't understand my situation. So the first thing we do is we get mad at, I get mad at you because you have something I don't have. I assume that you have a hidden something or other that gave that to you, that handed it to you on a platter. And, and then the next thing I do when I hear a word like this is then I say, yeah, but whoever brings the messenger, you know, whoever the messenger is like, yeah, but pastor, you don't understand. I hear this all the time. You know, If I'm counseling somebody in marriage, like, you don't understand. Like, you don't understand my situation. You don't understand. This is what I hear most of them. You don't understand my husband, pastor. You just, come on, ladies, laugh a little bit. You know it's you. You don't understand my husband, pastor. You know, it's funny that guys don't do that in marriage counseling. I don't know what it is. Guys just assume that they screwed everything up. <laughs> it is like, yeah, I don't know what I'm doing, obviously. Like, uh, you know, I don't know. Can you help me? Um, girls, though, they kind of come in and they want you to counsel uh, their husband. They think that their husband is the problem of their marriage. And he might be, but, you know, you can only talk to whoever came, right? And so, um, and, and even if you're marriage counseling somebody, you know, I, I can't counsel you about your husband, like, you can counsel you about you. So this whole idea of like, yeah, but pastor, you don't understand. You don't understand. You don't understand. You don't understand my living situation. You don't understand the pressure on me at work. You don't understand. You don't understand. You don't. Okay. Do you honestly think? Do you honestly think that your problems are, are because of something I don't understand? <laughs> Do you honestly think that your marriage problems are because I don't understand something? How did he know? Because I used to say the same thing. Well, you don't understand my wife. You don't understand what I'm dealing with. No, I was the one who didn't understand what was going on. I was the one. My, my, the dream of God coming true in my life didn't have to do with her. It has to do with me. It didn't have to do with what she's not. It has to do with what I got that I don't see. It had nothing to do with... See, the next logical step then is to... Before I get to this, look... It's impossible for God to fix you while you're trying to educate him about what the problem is. Like, you're watching this online right now, and God already knew, and God set you up for this because you needed it. And you're going to spend half this time just arguing with God about what he doesn't understand about your problem. And God's like, I already gave you the solution in the sermon. Amen. you got to quit educating me about what you think the problem is because I'm giving you the solution to the problem that you obviously don't understand. Hallelujah. I just love the way the Holy Spirit does that. See, the next logical step is to tell God that somebody else is keeping his promises from coming true in you. Well, God, you can't. It's a complete lack of trust in God. Experience. You just Here, I'll just give that to you for free. Then I tell God, like, well, this person is preventing your dream from coming true in my life. And God's like, that person is doing what now? That person is stronger than me, wiser than me. Able to what? More than me? Nobody can keep God's dream from coming true in you except you. That's it. That's it. It's beautiful because you don't have to look outside anymore to fix it. Oh, that's good. I love that. See, the difference between the dream of God that he gave you or the dream of God that he's giving you at this time in your life, because dreaming is what fights fear. If your dream is big enough, you wouldn't be afraid right now. Mm -mm -mm. If your dream was big enough, your dream actually satisfied the, the kingdom of heaven in your life, your dream actually met what you were made to do with your life right now, if the dream was big enough, then you would not be afraid. Because when the dream gets bigger, fear goes down. The problem is, but the problem is, we've been isolated. The problem is everything, everything came in to destroy the four pillars that make a human a human. 
That's what happened. You know, it just, it wasn't just a sickness. It was all these other things that took connection and accomplishment away and come on and structure. And it took all those things away from us. And then, but you have to understand, maybe it took some of those things away from us so that you would realize that the dream that you had for your life was not God's dream for your life. And even if you made the money that you wanted to make, it was still never going to make you happy or fulfill you as a person. The difference between the dream of God and the result happening in your life happens inside of you. The barrier is inside of you. When that shifts and changes, the dream comes true. And as soon as you understand that, then you can go to heaven and you can be like, okay, God, what is it? Let's fix it, you know, rather than let's fix, pastor, fix my husband. All right, Matthew chapter 13. He told many stories. This is Jesus in the form of parables such as this one. Listen, he said, because people then are not really different than people now. You think like they'd be listening because it's Jesus, right? And Jesus is like, yeah, no. And you're thinking about something else right now. He's like, listen. It's like when I, you know, my kid's watching TV and I'm like, hey. That's what Jesus does to us. A farmer went out to plant seeds. Then we start thinking about what that means. Jesus is like, just listen. Listen. A farmer went out to plant seeds as he scattered them across his field. Some seed fell on the footpath. Now, I, I love the way he tricks us. And he says, and the birds came and ate them. So they're thinking to themselves, oh, I like stories. This is great. This is not going to be about me. This is not going to be difficult to hear. This is not going to be. I love story time. This is great. All right. Uh, the birds came and ate them because the seed fell on the footpath. It says other seed fell on the shallow soil with underlying rock. The imagery is really, really, because he's describing your life and my life, how it gets sometimes. So the footpath, think about that. And then the underlying rock. And so the seed comes in, the shallow soil with underlying rock. And it says the seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plants soon wilted under the hot sun. We've got any lives that feel like you're wilting? Oh my goodness. If the airports open up, I'm going anywhere that I can go. I will fly to the North Pole. I don't even care, man. I just want to go someplace because I'm wilting. <laughs> the plants wilted under the hot sun. And since they didn't have deep roots, they died. There are some dreams in your life that, that the roots, you know, you had these dreams, but they weren't God's dreams for you, or they were God's dreams, but they feel like they've died because the, it was too shallow. The roots didn't go down deep enough. Now we have a time to actually, okay, I'm getting to the punchline. You can't make me do that. All right. Um, other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. Now, if you grew up in Sunday school, you've heard that before. I don't know that you heard it in this circumstance, though. See, when Jesus speaks a word to you in a certain time of your life, it's good that it's speaking to you in that time. Sometimes we take that lesson and we're like, oh, this means that. But you don't understand that next year you need a more mature word to get you further down the road. So it's like... You think you understand love when you're two, and you might if you come from a good family. But, but the reality of it is, um, there's, you understand love a little when you're two, but when you're three, you have to grow up a little bit more. And then when, when you, you're 15, love has to mean more than it meant when you were two. And you grow up and mature. And so this is, this is I think, the word of God that's going to help you today. Are you ready? In all of this parable... Remember now, I look at you and I say, you started with something I didn't start with. In all of this parable, it's not the seed that was the problem. It's not the seed. It's the soil. 
It's not the seed, it's the soil. Everybody starts with the same seed. And if the seed is the word of God, it's the same seed. But sometimes the word of God does not produce because it's not the seed, it's the soil. The soil, are you ready, is how you think and how you feel and what you believe. What you say and what you do, what you build your life, what your life looks like right now, the culture of your life is the soil. When you understand that, you realize this is incredibly empowering because nobody started with something that I didn't start with. It's the same seed. It always starts small. It's the condition of the soil that got them the harvest, not the seed that was flawed. It's the sowing of the seed in the right field, in the right conditions that got... Isaac, Isaac in the Bible. I don't know if you know this, but God said, don't go down to where they have food. He told him in the land of famine. And we've been like, hey, man, you take care of the house of God in the land of famine. God will take care of your house in the land of famine. God said to him, don't go down. Don't go down there. He said to Isaac, sow seed in the land of famine. He said, sow it in that field. He sows it. He reaps in that time with no chemicals, with no fertilizer. You know, I mean, they had fertilizer, but it was kind of like, you know what I'm talking about. The farmers get it, all the rest. You you don't know. You don't know where chickens come from. All right. But he sowed in the land of famine and reaped a hundredfold with no chemical. A hundredfold in the land of famine. Why? Because that was where God told him to sow. It's not the seed. It was never the seed. But you got to think about what Isaac had to do to that soil in the land of famine, in the land of drought. Think about how you prepare the soil. You break it up. It's dry. You have to irrigate it. Where do you get the water from if there's no water? You find it. You haul it in on buckets. Come on. Where do you find it? How, how would he actually go? Do you think that he just like, he just threw it on the ground and it, so it's, and it just, God wouldn't bless that. God causes the seed to grow, but you prepare the soil. God does what God does if you'll do what you do. The seed will always grow. The seed is the word of God. It will always grow in your life. Some of you are in marriages right now where you're like, I just wish that my spouse would love Jesus, but they don't. God's like, what are you doing with the soil of your heart? Quit worrying about them. Get the soil of your heart right, because something can grow up inside of you. I'm going to be preaching about forgiveness in two weeks. It is going to blow your mind. The, the kicker of that sermon at the very end is going to blow your mind. It, if you do the thing with your soil, God will do the thing that he does with the seed and bring you a harvest every single time. Work the soil, Isaac. Work the soil of your life. Work it out. All right, now it says, now it says, now listen to the explanation of the parables about the farmer planting seed. And first of all, he kind of flatters the disciples because the disciples are like, why are you telling everybody stories, you know? And, and Jesus is like, oh, you guys are much smarter than they are. So, so I can just tell you the straight truth. And they're like, yeah, we are smart. We're fishermen, you know. We're super intellectual. And Jesus does that to you sometimes. Like, I do that to my daughter sometimes. I, I know that they don't understand, but I'm like, oh, you're smart. And as soon as I tell somebody they're smart, then I can tell them the next thing that they don't quite understand. And then maybe they'll be like, but I totally get this. And you're totally right because I'm smart. <laughs> Jesus knows you. He knows you. He says, now listen to the explanation about the par- parables. He's like, I can't tell them this, but I'm going to tell you this. So you guys, you know. And then he says, the seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Get that. Who hear the message and don't understand it. What do you mean? God, like, how would I, 
Don't, don't you understand? You hear the message about the kingdom. I can preach a sermon about the kingdom of heaven, and, but you don't understand it. But you're like, yeah, but if I don't understand, that's not my fault. And Jesus is like, no, no, that is your soil. That is your responsibility. It is your responsibility to understand it. If you, if you take your responsibility and figure it out, and if you take and get taught, and if you take your, and come under teaching, and if you, come on, that's your responsibility. It says they hear the message about the kingdom, they don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their heart. How many times has that happened in your life? You're like, yes, God, I finally see what's wrong. And then you start moving forward, but because you don't quite understand it, you go out and do something that shows that you don't really understand what's really going on yet. You, you have excitement, but you go out and try something and it doesn't work. And then the devil comes and snatches it away. And then your kids go back to the way that they were. And that's what happens. See, see here's the thing. It fell on old neural pathways. When you get addicted and you get unaddicted, you have to retrain your brain because your brain just keeps going back down the same path that it did. It's so much easier to create a neural pathway than it is to fix one. It takes time and it takes discipline and it takes hard work and you got to change all your friends sometimes. And you got to be like, hey, I'm going to fire you as a friend. I might hire you later when I can handle it, but I can't handle you right now. And so, listen, you're having marriage problems and you're hanging out with people with marriage problems. And you're complaining all the time about your spouse all the time because they like that because they're complaining about their spouse and fire them and get somebody who will tell you the truth about you. Fire them. Get new friends. I mean, you just retrain the neural pathways. Get new habits. Get new habits. Get new habits. It's old dead religious ideas. Sometimes people come into venue and they're like, oh, this is amazing. I love what's going on here. And they're like, and can you make it like the church that I grew up in? And we're like, yeah, but you left that church. Because you got mad and you left that church because you didn't feel like they were like really addressing the needs of people. And you want it to be like that. Why? So you can, can no, 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 that's not, this is a Holy Spirit church. Like, no, I get that, but you need to retrain your neural pathways because maybe, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm not bad mouthing churches, by the way, because I mean, every church is going to do something that venue church is not going to do and we love and we support. But I'm saying, why would you come and complain about them? Because I know that when you leave, you'll complain about me. Because if it's easy for you to be irritated at that pastor, he at least was nice. All right, the seed on the rocky soil represents those. I can preach this in a studio audience because I don't have to look at everybody right now. These people like me. I can say anything. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. Have you done this? But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away. He's saying to his disciples, some of you, y'all, like they, they. No, I'm talking about you, actually. Um, they fall away as soon as they have, listen, problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. Problems or are persecuted. Has that affected your life? See, the roots in your life can't go deeper than the rocks that you've allowed to be there. The roots, you're parenting children, you're disciplining children, but you grow up with this thing where you never allow them to feel the consequence of their actions. The roots in their lives can never go deeper than the rocks that you put there. Somebody disagrees with that. I don't care because they're not here. They don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's, God's word. You have a pattern of turning back in the day of battle, of going back, of stopping just short of the finish line. You need to hang out with my dad, Pastor Richard. He doesn't know what quit means, man. He's not the fastest out there, but I'll tell you what, he's never quit a race. And he will just, you'll just be beside him and he'll be like, you're going to quit your marriage? Why would you do that? And he'd be like, why would I do that? I should stick this out a little longer. And he's like, you should stick this out a little longer. It's like he uses the force on you. I don't know how he does it. These are not the droids that you're looking for. Like, these are not the droids that we're looking for. Right. 
The seed that fell among the thorns represent those who hear God's word, but all too quickly, maybe this is you, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth. So no fruit is produced. What's he talking about now? I thought Jesus just came to be nice. No, he came to save you so you could bear fruit. And then when he comes to prune you so you can bear fruit, you have to understand the whole idea is that you bear fruit. Um, this is, it gets all too crowded out. There's so many messages right now. I'm going to preach a little bit about propaganda next week. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you how smart you're not. How smart I'm not. I can't. You can't make me do that right now, though. Once again, I'm going to preach what I need to preach right now. But I had to prepare three brand new sermons all at once, and it just about killed me. But I got it, and I'm not going to preach that one this one. Okay. It says, okay, so this is, this is, this is, and this is the kind of church I want Venue Church to be uh, as we honor the Holy Spirit of God. The worries of life and the lure of wealth, so no fruit is produced. They crowd out the word of God. There's just more voices than the one voice that you need to hear. And so with us, we need the prophetic voice that just like clears all the air out and it's just like, it's just like that arrow that's like, whoa, who cares about that? Nobody cares about that. Nobody cares about that. What about this thing? When that person in your small group is like, no, but that thing that you said last week that you struggled with. Yeah, well, no, I can't really remember. No, I remember. <laughs> How's that going? Right? It's a prophetic voice that just gets in, fixes the issue, you know, and moves on. And then it says, the seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word. Now, they have done the work in the soil. And they produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. Now, if your soil is good and you've taken the time and the energy and you are around the right type of good soil people, come on. People who are not going to allow themselves the excuse that their lives are the, the failure in their life is the result of somebody else's decisions. Who are not. I talked to a guy who had been abused by his father one time, and he was a rough and tumble kind of a guy. He said, I jumped through the, the front window of my house trying to get away from my dad. That was a better option than being home when he was when he was after me. When he got all drunk. And he said, But I didn't grow up to be a jerk. And I thought, yeah. Yeah. And some of us were like, I'm a jerk because my dad didn't treat me a certain way. And God's like, the spirit of the living God is on the inside of you. The spirit that beat death once and for all. The spirit that saved you from all of your sins can release you from any addiction. But you got to prepare the soil. It is possible to overcome anything in the spirit of the living God. Now, now here's the nature of what needs to happen. And the, the point I'm going to leave you with today. The nature of what needs to happen to your soil is, is just this. It needs the plow. The very nature of it is disruptive, and you and I don't like disruption. It takes all the things that you thought you knew, and it puts, runs a plow right over it, and it just digs it all up. Just rump, rump, rump. And you look back at your life before this, and you're like, I just hope that it goes back to the way that it does, and God's like, I hope that it doesn't, because your heart was so hard I couldn't get any seed in there, but I'm plowing the soil. He's like, when you plow the soil, why don't you irrigate the soil a little bit? The whole nature of it is disruptive. The plow is not fun. Nobody likes the plow. But here's the thing. You have to dig the dirt before you get the harvest. Let me show you. If you own your life and own, own the condition, oin, oin, that's like a dwarf from Lord of the Rings, I feel like. And you oin and gloin, the condition of the soin. I got two more of these to preach in the recording. It's going to get interesting as we move along here. Okay. Um, you have to own the condition of the soil. Now, let me tell you, what kind of crazy fanatic you have to be to actually get this right? Pastor Aaron. I mow the grass 
and trim the grass and water the grass. That's all that I do in the yard. Our yard looks amazing. It's got plants and trees and flowers of some sort and more flowers of other sorts and <laughs> vines and it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And Pastor Erin does all that. She, nothing makes her happier than grubbing around in the dirt all afternoon. She just comes in. She looks like a crazy homeless person. She got her hair all tangled. She got a bird's nest in there. and She got dirt everywhere. She loves it. She just loves working the soil. My dad was a farmer. He loved working the soil. But, but there, there needs to be this fanaticism that comes with that because she is a bit insane about the condition of the soil. See, my, my old neighbor, Russ, I love him but my wife hates him right now because he likes the squirrels and he feeds them peanuts. And then the, the, the neighbor's Russ takes the peanuts and brings them into our yard and buries them in Aaron's flower pots. And when Aaron is reading the word of God in the front window first thing in the morning and we're there with the kids and we're reading the Bible and loving Jesus and just being having a holy moment, she's looking outside of the flower pots and there's a squirrel and she just start banging on the window. <laughs> Stupid squirrels! Get out of my, someday that window's going to fall. She's just going to go right into the backyard. Just get my soil, my flowers, get those peanuts out. She yelled at a bird the other day because it had the nerve to dig around in the yard. I'm telling you what, when you get crazy and quit worrying about somebody else's seed and somebody else's harvest, and you start looking and getting crazy about your own soil, then you're like, whoa, what's going on in my teenager's room right now? My soil. My soil, my problem. What's going on in my marriage right? Why do I get so stubborn all the time? My soil, devil. Ooh, squirrel. You get those peanuts out of my flower pots. You own the condition of the soil. You get mad about what you ought to get mad about. Not because somebody's got something you don't have. You get mad because the condition of your soil keeps that from happening in you. When you see the devil start influencing your friend and they start getting off base and off track, they stop giving to God, they stop give, they stop forgiving, they, you're just like, whoa, 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 whoa. Text, what are you doing? What are you doing, man? You're my friend, this is not gonna happen to you. No, no, you're my friend. This is not going to happen in your marriage. This is not gonna happen in your family. You're not gonna go down because here I am and you are part of the field that I'm sowing into is you. And I care about the condition of your soul. Don't get hard, come on, come on. It's this idea of like, no, devil, this is not going to own the condition of your soil. That's it. I'm going to pray for you. Heavenly Father, I pray for every person here that we would own the condition of the soil of our hearts. In Jesus' name, that we would quit blaming everybody else for the state of our field, for the state of our flock, Father, for the state of our company, for the state of our homes and our families, that we would own the condition of our soil, realize this, there's nothing wrong with the seed. The seed will always produce a harvest. The Word of God will always produce a harvest. I pray, Father, that you would... Uh, break down the hardness of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.